but it will be revealed. It is the, um, it is the best illustration I have ever come across of the presence of God with us. But it will have to wait. C.S. Lewis said this, We come to Scripture not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. Mark chapter 4, for various reasons, is one of the most familiar chapters in the Bible. Because it's got this parable which we know as the parable of the sower. So most of us have known it since we were at school and could recite it more or less. And so when we hear this chapter, the thing is to turn off because we're familiar, but now you've heard it because you've waved your fingers, you clicked them, you've whispered story, and you've clapped your hands. It's come alive again today. The difficulty with preaching this, and I have struggled with this all week, I confess it, and I'm still struggling right now, is that Jesus spoke in parables. And it's only when he got alone with his disciples that he explained them. And of the parables in this passage, we only have the explanation of one of them. So the parables must do their own work today. Also, they are parables of the kingdom. And I checked out on Amazon last night. There is a whole library of theological works by authors through the ages on the subject of the kingdom. First one I looked at had 200 pages. Second one I looked at had 300 pages. The next one I looked at had 400 pages. You can, oh, you can study the kingdom to your heart's delight. And you can have any one of a number of authors all looking at it from a different perspective. The weird thing to me is that when we read these parables, you can read them or listen to them in three minutes. And Jesus says, how shall we describe the kingdom? I know, like this. And it doesn't take up even a page. So what's at work here? Is Jesus trying to teach us a subject? Or is he introducing us, well, to the kingdom? Look at this. In here... I have a treasure. Let's be very careful with it. It is an overhead projector transparency. (laughs) 
It's wonderful, isn't it? When I use it in schools, I have a big globe on it, but I couldn't find that one. So for those of you who are listening to the podcast, this one is red and yellow. It's got a BU kind of logo on it. It says the Mission Congregation as its main heading, and it's got a church without walls sort of uh, printed over two huge pink hands, which I guess are praying. Can you see it all right? More or less. I want you to realize you are looking at an illustration of the presence of God. Now I'm inviting you to say, can you see him? That is the best illustration of the presence of God I have ever come across. And you think I'm mad, don't you? Let me show you. Thank you. Now does it make sense? All the time you were looking at the red and the yellow and the hands and the wording, you were looking through another transparency. It was there all the time. You didn't see that it was there, but it was there and you were looking through it. And that other transparency is the illustration of God with us right now. God's kingdom present and you didn't know it except perhaps in here. That is the illustration of the kingdom Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about this visual, material world alone. He's talking about the presence and the spiritual vitality and the reality of God and his rule. When Mark began his gospel, he nailed his own colours to the mask. This, he said, right at the outset, his conclusion to all that he'd learned about Jesus. He said, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God made visible in the flesh. That's what he's come to understand. And now he's introducing us to this person, Jesus, so that you and I can make up our minds on it. But when we hear Jesus speaking in this passage, which is before us, we hear him telling simple stories, parables of the kingdom. Because, you see, he's not speaking to people so they learn a subject. He's speaking to people so they discover God. He speaks in parables so that those hungry hearts, spirits, longing for God will find him 
because they will look and seek and ask and long for what lies behind all these. The people who are just listening to learn a subject may end up writing 600-page books on the subject of the kingdom. Though many of them really love God, I understand that. And people who are just learning the subject of God, he goes on to say that those who have, more will be given to them. And those who do not have, even what they do have will be taken away from them. Those just learning the subject of God, it will get them nowhere, because by learning the subject, they won't find him. But those with the longing heart who are seeking for him, even if they have so little, what they have will be added to. And as Jesus says in another place, seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be open to you. Ask, it will be given to you. When we hear Jesus speaking these parables, we must remember what's gone before. We are reading a chapter. But this is, well, this chapter was only put in the Bible in the year 1220. Did you know that? Mark didn't put the chapter in. Some future Archbishop of Canterbury put the chapter in, in 1220. And about 330 years later, someone else on horseback, riding between Paris and Lyon, put in the verses. And the jogging of the horse explains the stupidity of some of those verse divisions. <laughs> Mark didn't put chapters in. He's writing a story about this man. And we have seen Jesus. We have seen him, well, these are the things that have happened to him so far. He's been announced as good news by John the Baptist. He's declared that the kingdom is as close as this, is at hand. That's how close. We shook hands, for those of you listening to the podcast. The kingdom is close at hand. When Jesus was baptized, we're told the Holy Spirit came down and anointed him. We've already discovered, learned that a voice spoke out of heaven and said something awesome. I don't know how the words came. There must have been a chuckle in it. This is my beloved son. I'm so pleased with him. That voice came out from heaven. Demons that are spiritual creatures have recognized him and called him the Holy One, such that Jesus has had to silence them. Illnesses have responded to his rebuke. He has made the claim that he can forgive sins. He said, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So who is this speaking these words? 
Where is he coming from? There are several parables. One of them has an explanation. The parable of the sower. You know it, so I'm not going to go deeply into it. I'm just going to ask you from Jesus' own explanation of the parable. Where are you in this parable? Where are you in this parable? My guess is that the seed that fell on the path, my guess is that you're not that person, though it's not inconceivable. How do you deal with um, sudden difficulties? How much root have you got in you? Do the cares of this world distract you and move you away from to the point where you might be willing to forget God? <laughs> or is there something growing up in you which increases, which grows seed similar to the seed that was sown in you? plant an acorn, you get an oak tree and thousands of acorns. Plant an apple seed, you don't get an orange tree, you get an apple tree and seasons of apples. I put in some mustard seed. The place is covered with five, six centimetre high plants. Mustard plants. So where are you in this parable? The fruit that is growing out of your life, is it the fruit which is clearly the fruit of the seed of the good news of Jesus that was sown in you? That's for you to think about. And then I'm not going to try and explain, but I'm just going to ask you again, where are you in relation to what Jesus said when he said, a lamp is brought in not to be put under a basket or under a bed, but on a stand. And then he says, for nothing is hidden except to be made known. What's that say to you about your life? And nothing is secret except to come to light. What's that say about you? Because sometimes it frightens me. If you've got ears to hear, listen up, said Jesus. And then pay attention to what you hear. Because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The two elderly, when I was here before, all those years ago, 30 years ago, whatever, there were two elderly ladies in particular that attended this church. One of them sat in a particular place. I don't think 
Oh, there may be some who would still remember. I'm not going to re mention their names. But one lady sat in a particular place, and she was brilliant at giving out hymn books on Sunday, but if you sat in her place, she moved you. <laughs> and on a Sunday after service, she went home and was more or less locked up in her house until the next Sunday, when she was very graciously giving out books and moving you away from her seat. There was another lady who lived just around the corner, and she found it really difficult to get in here, and she didn't give out books. And sometimes she was a little bit late as she hobbled in, and she smiled a lot, but during the week, she didn't hide away in her house. If the weather was nice, she put a seat by her garden gate. And as people walked up Birchall Road, um, she'd say, hello, dearie, how are you? Oh, it's so hot, I've got some orange juice here. Would you like some orange juice? While I was here, both of these ladies died. The lady who so faithfully gave out the hymn books had a handful of people at her funeral. The other lady had half a virtual road here. And Jesus said, be careful, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you use will be the measure that's dealt out to you. Then there's a couple of parables about growing seed. Thank you. Yes. And I told you about my mustard. Dee and I, no, Dee and my daughter, Lisa, um, acquired an allotment just over a year ago. Now, I hate gardening and always have done since I wasn't allowed to play football in case I kicked over my father's lupins. <laughs> that hatred of gardening has lasted for getting on for 50 years. But Dee has constantly said, would you like a little bit of my allotment? And I, to humour her over the months, have said, yes, okay, love, okay, love. I even read a couple of allotment books, until in the end I couldn't get out of it anymore. And I really love it. They gave me a patch about six metres by six metres to begin with, and I dug over the first six by four metres, uh, which meant getting a lot of weeds and brambles out, and it was a bit back-breaking, but I felt good about it. And then I bought this mustard seed because Monty Don on Gardener's World <laughs> said that it was a really good idea to grow green manure, and I'd never heard of this before, and nor has anybody else on the allotment, so I'm a, I'm a leader. And I bought these two packets of seed and I just sprinkled them, just broadcast them randomly across this six by four patch. And then I looked at it and thought, That's, I really wish I'd been more careful in the way that I'd sprinkled those seeds. After two weeks, I was thrilled to see that in little patches, there were these tiny little green things coming up, but still seeds lying on the, on the ground. But so I went away, and then I went away with the school, and then I came back and had a look again. They were bigger. And then I went in sort of so many days or a week later, and suddenly my six-by-four patch is absolutely covered with green now. I have no idea how these tiny little seeds, which look like the center of aniseed balls, 
have somehow or another germinated and out of that little seed, the DNA in that seed has come up. These plants now five, six centimetres tall with these thick, juicy leaves on them to cover an area six by four metres. It is awesome. And it's nearly time to take the fork and dig them in as manure. A couple more centimetres. That, said Jesus, is a parable of the kingdom. The seed is sown, and then the sower leaves it and watches it. And all by itself, the ground produces. And then, oh, you should come and look at it. It's a carpet of green. With many parables like this, Jesus spoke to the people. And afterwards, when he was alone, he explained them to his disciples. Now, I have tried not to explain them, only to express them. So hopefully, forget my brogue or however I speak. You have been hearing Jesus. And he wants his kingdom to grow. And he's looking out to see that seed of its own accord growing up in you and producing fruit that actually reproduces the seed <laughs> that was sown. Now then he went out and got in a boat. Now, if I had been putting the chapter headings in the year 1220, I would not have put the chap I would not have put the end of the chapter after this scene. I would have put it after the parables. Because it seems to me that Jesus calming a storm, which if you remember was the last bit where we clicked our fingers and patted our thighs. Um, Jesus calming the storm is something so awesome that the disciples who were present were scared by the storm but were even more scared about Jesus after he'd still, stilled it. In fact, the Greek says of the second fear when he'd stilled it, they feared with a great fear. That's the way the Greek puts it. They feared with a great fear. But, so we find Jesus confronting the elements and then we find the next bit at the beginning of the next chapter, Jesus confronting legion, a legion of demons and then we find him confronting death which has grabbed a little girl, the daughter of Jairus. And it seems to me that if I'd been putting the chapters in, I'd have put those lot together. But the future Archbishop of Canterbury didn't. So on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, took him with them in the boat. And you know what happened. He was worn out. He fell asleep at the back of the boat, 
stern is the back, is it? Or is it the front? It is the back, thank you. Um, well, I should ask Anna, because you do sailing, don't you? Stern is the back, isn't it? Thank you. So he fell asleep at the back of the boat on a pillow. And the storm raged. Now, we're told, I've never been there, I've seen it, but we're told that these storms suddenly whip up the Lake of Galilee. They can come right out of the blue. And when they come, they are huge. And they are hairy. And Jesus is in the boat with sailors who are now really scared for their life. And he's quietly sleeping in the back of the boat. Don't you care? What a question to ask this man who has driven out demons and healed the sick and suffered the insults of people and still welcomed them. Don't you care that we're perishing? And the Greek suggests that he opened his eyes and had to come to. When he'd finally come to, he stood up and he rebuked the wind. the waves. Be still. And a great calm covered the sea. And so they were more scared now. Now maybe that really rang bells with them. Because one of the Psalms, Psalm 107, says this. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, I'm thinking of Jonah right now, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down, they went down to the depths and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Now they've been in the boat and they've seen it. But it wasn't invisible God who did it. It was very visible, tired, tangible. Jesus who did it. Where is this guy coming from? What is this kingdom really all about?